Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, you're listening to the Future Media Explained with me, Prescott Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. And this week, we're going to be talking about AI in the newsroom. Joining me on the Future of Media Explained sofa this week is Press Gazette data journalist Aisha Majid. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Dom. Nice to be back again. Nice to have you. So for the listeners, I made no excuse for returning to the thorny subject of generative AI. There's a lot going on. And we've talked a lot about it in theory. We've talked a lot about copyright and about the sort of threat to publishers of having their content stolen or uh, used without recompense by chat, GPT, and others. But this week, we're going to learn about some practical uses of a technology at a big European publisher. Is that right, Aisha? Yeah. Um, this week, I spoke to Trey Lankreet. She's from Media Host, Media House, Media Host. I always have fun with the pronunciation of that. And she's there. Bit, a bit of a hospital pass there. I'll let, you, yeah. let, I'll, let you, I'll let you get the pronunciation in. For fun, I'm just going to have a go. Media Host. But I think, um, having spoken before, I think it's very acceptable for people in our in our sort of jurisdiction just to say media house. That's what I went with when I spoke to her. Just said media house. Just keep it keep it simple. I think, I think that's a sort of style guide point for the podcast. Is we're going to go media house and not try and get Flemish or sort of Belgium with it. And so what did? Sorry, what did they? What I got just got diverted. But what, what what are Media House up to? So we had a chat about how they use AI broadly across the company, across business. Obviously, you know, we chatted about how they're like a lot of publishers starting to use generative AI. So things like chat GPT, of course, but how um, they've used sort of more, I guess, traditional AI as well across the newsroom and across the business for a few years. So helping a lot with not necessarily just journalism, but everything about sort of running a major publisher. So we, we got into some of that as well. Okay. Well, look, before we go to Media House, um, what do we know about AI in the newsroom so far? I'm thinking that there's been a couple of examples, but it's not really... When you talk when we're talking about generative AI, there's not much use of it in the wild, just for the good reason that it's a bit unpredictable and um, it will come up with hallucinations. It won't always... It won't say what it knows. It just it says what it, what it thinks it wants you to hear. So it's a bit unpredictable like that. But I know... BuzzFeed used it to create quizzes. They did some travel guides on it, but that just looked like a bit of an experiment. I don't think they've done any more with that, and they looked fairly bland what they did. And Future have been using like an AI chatbot on their, one of their sites called Tom's Guide. And actually, I'm thinking about it. I think quite a few sites have um, done that, used like a license or a chat GPT to um, create bots on their own sites. But again, I think that's fine, but I think it's also a bit like whatever. The bot doesn't tell you much more, really, than you would find out just by doing a search on the site. It's just, and you have to ask it a very precise question. So, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you can think of, Aisha, in terms of uses of it in the wild, generative AI? 
I think the way most newsrooms are probably using it now, and you will hear about this from Media House as well, is to generate summaries and bullet points, things like that. So to take what journalists have, have already done um, and then take away maybe some of those repetitive or not so interesting tasks. Okay. Well, look, always interested to see what up to at Media House, not least because I think they are one of the possible buyers of the Telegraph at the moment, aren't they? They're certainly like an acquisitive media company. They'll be taking a look at it. And they, they've grown a lot. Just before we talk to them, remind us who they are. What do they do? So Media House, yeah, they're a big publisher of uh, newspapers and magazines across Europe. You mentioned Belgium, the Netherlands. Um, they also published a few things in Ireland, um, the Belfast Telegraph, the Sunday Independent. So they're a multinational publishing company. They're big, aren't they? And they're growing quite big on tech. Let's hear from them. How did you kick off the interview? So I started by asking Trey Lancrete, who is their Data and Insights Director, how they use AI across the business. So can you tell me when did uh, Media House get started with AI and how broadly across the business are you using it at the moment? Okay, I think we started using it before I joined uh, Media House uh, with personalization with, with an external company. I think it's more than five, six years ago, maybe seven, eight even. But if we define AI in a broad sense, like uh, also train models, etc., then we are actually using it in different areas. We are using it in uh, forecasting, in everything that's sales, like churn and propensity to buy. In the newsroom, we have recommendation engines, we have personalization in the newsroom. So it's quite broad where we are not using it, where we could use it quite easily in HR and in finance. All. With the forecasting, it's more in the business than in finance, actually. But all the other uh, departments are using it. We are not using it in e-commerce either, but we are also using it in advertising with the data products that we are actually creating for the advertisers. And, and in terms of um, using it for, for generating text, I mean, do you use it to write summaries for stories or anything like that? Or? Yeah, the text generation part, we did several tests. What is actually in production now is the summarize, we call it, it's the summarizer or the news condenser. It's a more a marketing name. And it takes a text and it, it does three things. It creates bullet points, what's in the text. It creates a summary text. And it creates also headlines, suggestions for headlines. Uh, so you have like uh, 10 different headlines that they can choose from that actually present the content of, of that article. And that's actually in production now, and it's going to be in our CMS. So it will be integrated in the CMS. So it will be in the daily uh, working environment. But next to that, you also need to train the, the news people because not every text is suitable to do summaries about. And uh, if you don't understand the algorithms, you might think that a logical text, like yeah, this happened and then that happened. So the result is that would be easier, but it's, it's text. So it's not a logical algorithm. It just looks at the text. And sometimes those logical Texts are not really fit to summarize. So to avoid that, they say, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to train them on that. And then the next step, what we also have is a recommendation engine on headlines, on improving headlines. So the 10 headlines that come out of them, we can also put together, okay, what would work best on conversion or maybe on attention time, or maybe depending on the metric they want. 
And then like that, they could choose, or maybe we also do recommendations to optimize the headline if they want. So that combined will be a part of the headline studio. So that's something that we are doing currently. We also tested with ChatGTP, of course, it's easy now, it's more accessible uh, for everyone. And we um, looked at one of our authors who was writing about tech, etc. So he was interested to see whether this could work. And we tried to uh, make ChatGDP write a text in his style. So, and that's something we tested. It's not something that is already usable. I believe that the generative AI uh, on text, what we ha currently have, will be only helping newsrooms for the next five years. It's not good enough yet to write text for a newsroom because it's new, right? So, and it takes data from the past. I think we focus too much on the newsroom. I think it would be usable. Like if I have to write a vacancy, for instance, I use chat GDP. I say, okay, write me a vacancy for a data strategist. And then I get something really nice. So it's a lot better usable in all those departments in marketing as well. Uh, marketing messages are not that original, not always. <laughs> So we could easily uh, have in, in everything that digital marketing, you could easily automate the creation of text as well. A lot faster than for the newsroom, I think. Yeah, we do seem to be hearing or, or reading a lot about AI in the newsroom and the potential, you know, some people think it's going to make the job of journalists easier. Other people think it's going to make some types of journalists um, obsolete. I mean, obviously you just mentioned that it has a big use in other kinds of departments, not necessarily mm -hmm. creating stories. But what's been the response among the journalists in your newsroom to sort of your use of yeah. your use of AI? Maybe first I want to nuance. I think maybe in 10 years, I think the job of a journalist will change and it will still will be important for a journalist to do deep dives and, and asking the right questions and, and be critical. But writing the text will be a lot more automated. So it will be less, am I a good writer? You might have more journalists that can't write, but they, they don't have to because it's not necessarily a, a part of that. But it won't be so fast as in other departments. And their reaction is actually, I think they're quite open. Of course, you have different people responding differently, but they all, uh, I think that really changed with ChatGDP because we did workshops um, before on the future of the newsroom and AI wasn't even on the agenda. I put AI on the agenda and then they scored it as very unlikely to happen. So it was really weird. And then chat GDP happened and all of a sudden people kind of realized, okay, this is happening now. So we have to react and they kind of know that yeah, it's going to be there and it's going to be a part of their job it's no use to ignore it because it's not going to go away so uh, they are most of them are quite open and then the way we approach things is also that we we find someone who is willing to test something we create a product and then we show it to them and that kind of reassures them like for the summary as well if you talk to a journalist okay we're going to create summaries of your text they kind of, what no no this is my text and nobody and not automated uh, i've been really thinking and putting a lot of thought in that so i can understand but when we make a minimum viable product and we show them um, which kind of use cases that when we want to put content on social media or somewhere else or the headlines that are coming out, then they are 
a lot more positive. They see that it, it helps them that to do more than they currently have. So, uh, yeah, I think it might help. We're also doing uh, speech-to-text, for instance, and that's really something that sometimes they decide not to, to do an interview because they don't have the time to write it out and... Yeah, they balance cost effort versus how valuable it is, and then they don't do it. And with uh, speech-to-text, they could easily do the interview and then have a basic text, because that's very time-consuming, just writing all the text down. And if they don't have a basic text automatically created for them, then they are going to do the interview. So they can create more value uh, using AI, then it's not just replacing things that they, they do. So... Uh, it's quite positive. In in general, it's quite positive. They are also scared, of course, for the future, but most of them are positive and open for that. And have there been um, any um, lessons learned so far in, in your AI journey, things to do or things not to do, even that you've started and dropped? Or... Yeah, I think, first of all, the way you approach AI, I think uh, what we do is start small and then, and then showcase it, that really works. We put a lot of time in talking to the people that are supposed to use it. So you you might slow down your process, but in the end, the adaption uh, goes a lot quicker. And I think that's important. We put a lot of people also that play that role between business and the data scientists. So they, they kind of translate it and, and create a so I think that the way you do it is important. And then, yeah, we've been, um, like in Article DNA, we've tried to add a lot of automated tags to the articles. I think those things are very difficult to explain to the newsroom. For complexity, for instance, we say, okay, this text is more complex than another text, but it's an algorithm. So now and then it's just wrong, right? If people see that, they, they start losing confidence. But if the error is always the same for an analysis point of view, that's fine. We, we can do something with that. So we try to put those NLP-based or AI-based tags not in front of a newsroom. We use them to analyze and we are just trying to create insights on that. But it turned out to be very hard. So we kind of paused that. A second thing we paused is the habit creation because we are saying, okay, we have to increase intention time. But you could also imagine that there are people that use our product just to be quickly updated with news, and then they will never have a high attention time, but it would be a habit. They would keep returning. So we, we search for patterns in the behavior. That was very hard. It's very time consuming. I'm still convinced that it can add value and that we can do something with it. But it was very time consuming. You can kind of test those kind of things uh, and never find something. And because we had other priorities, we kind of stopped that as well. So I'm not advising that maybe we shouldn't do that, but uh, you should give uh, the data scientists also a framework because they can really get lost in all the analysis and then continue doing analysis without any return. So that's, I think, the biggest parts that we've learned. And in terms of the risks, I guess, thinking more sort of like the ethical side of AI and the risks there, obviously there's a lot of talk about like AI, misinformation, disinformation, and so on. But in terms of the the risks um, within your newsroom, I mean, do you have a way of sort of mitigating those? Are you thinking about those already? Yes. In general, what we're doing is uh, we are monitoring our, our algorithms 
and we are kind of testing automatically whether there are go there are systems for that. So that's what we're doing on the technical side, and then on more the human side, let's say, or the ethical uh, side, which is technically not a problem, but maybe ethical uh, if we start using texts from somebody else, etc. That's not. So uh, we have an ethical, we created an ethical framework for within the newsroom to use. So we have uh, different points there and, and human intervention is, is actually uh, one of those points. And I think it's a document that will evolve, but it's very good that we have it. It's a basis for all the newsrooms and they still have a lot of freedom to, to handle. It's, uh, it's more a direction than actually uh, saying you can't do this, but more like a general uh, opinion on how we should work with AI. Hi, I'm Anoush and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Are there any sort of areas that you know that you definitely won't be using AI for um, or is everything on the table now? Well, I think there will be like for HR, for instance, if we before chat GDP, a lot of articles around AI went or, or to career planning or uh, how to um, make sure that you have the right resources in the right place a lot, but HR stuff. Uh, we probably will use some AI, but it's also very sensitive there. It's You talk about people, it's privacy sensitive, plus each country has different rules. So we probably won't use it in the extreme. There, there are a lot of use cases in HR, but that's uh, an area where we, we would be very careful. And then secondly, also some things are just if it's a lot of data, it's too expensive to do AI for everything that's simple and can be an if-then algorithm. We wouldn't use AI. Uh, like there's a lot of discussion about the layout of a paper uh, or a print uh, product that we say, okay, let's automate this and, and use AI. Well, if we want to automate this, I don't think we should use AI. It would be too expensive to use AI for that. And it, there will be errors in it also when you use, if you use AI, it will to optimize the white spaces and weird things will happen. So just do this manually. So that's the areas I, I currently think of. But on the other hand, it's not don't use AI, uh, but more like the way you use it or how far-fetched it's, how automated are you going to use it or not? And I think uh, in a lot of areas, it will, it will not automate everything. It will be like more recommendation or suggestion, etc. So a question of, of degree, I suppose. And in yes. terms of what's next for Media House AI-wise, I mean, what's the next um, priority in the newsroom or across the business for using AI? 
Yeah, well, uh, we have different projects running now. Uh, so we, we wanted to accelerate now with ChatGDP. All of a sudden, it becomes really important and we are accelerating on that. And we really want to, uh, we are already testing. So the headline optimizer we are continuing to do and the summarizer we are continuing to do. Uh, everything around personalization, we want to speed up and have it more everywhere, actually. And then I'm trying to talk to B2C people to have more in the marketing and in sales area. Uh, also for HR, there we have a knowledge sharing platform and a learning platform. I think AI could really work there better than what we have today. But what is on the planning is more in, um, in the newsroom. So the text-to-speech for the interviews. Also to have a more intelligent search on our archive. That's also uh, already in a project. And also fact-checking uh, um, for the elections that are coming up uh, in some of the countries. We want to do that as well. And also uh, within data and insights, we, uh, we already created once a chatbot uh, that created insights. So if people have questions, how many people, how many prospects do we have? And, and they, they want to look at the different tables to find it, they could ask the chatbot and it would give back the data. So that's something we've already developed a few years ago, but yeah, the time wasn't right there, but I think now the time might be right for people to use that as well. And then um, I wanted to ask you in terms of, I mean, you're experimenting with AI in different areas. I mean, do you have any tips for other publishers on, you know, how to kickstart their AI journey in their newsrooms with what you've, what you've learned over? It's always the same, and you have to start with qualitative data. It's very dangerous to have your data not in order and then start using that because then something will come up, which is quite horrifying. And then secondly, well, with ChatGDP, I think it's easy. It's very easy for every developer. You don't have to be a data scientist to do something with that. So as a company, if you look around, there will be a lot of people that are taking initiatives and start creating stuff, etc. Bring those people together in some kind of community and have them coming up with ideas because they are passionate about it because they are already working with it and they come from different areas and they will have new kind of ideas. So that's something I think it's, it's good to set up. I don't believe in a setup in a different area like yeah this is the ai uh, department uh, because it's it's everywhere it's like data it's everywhere so it just should be part of your data science team they are already doing it before and it's not because it became a hype now that they shouldn't be doing it again and like i said before i start small test it and be, be ready to stop doing things and you shouldn't always do it yourself you can test external companies but make sure that you understand it or that it runs in your environment so you can learn from it. I think we don't want to make external vendors smarter. This is really something totally different from a normal technology like paywall. Yeah, you just need a paywall that needs to be technical, right? But everything that's AI or data science in general, it's about your user, the knowledge about your user, user how they behave in your product in the way you communicate with them. It's your relationship with your user. And if you do too much of that outside, you lose the knowledge. 
And then the second reason why I think you should do it inside, because if you use 10 vendors, they will start doing recommendations, not talking to each other. And then you will have contradictionary things maybe in some areas. Or if you put it in the front of it to your readers, they might have a really strange experience because they might do suggestions, the same suggestions based on a different uh, background. And you want to make sure that if you put different algorithms in working, that they talk to each other and that you also have, okay, if those two are competing, then this one will win or something. <laughs> you have to have rules like that. So I think it's important that you have good people in-house that understands how it works. And uh, well, if you want to have them, you have to make sure that they can do something themselves as well, otherwise they won't stay. So, yeah. well, Thank you. A lot of very useful insights. Thanks for that, Aisha. Great to hear from Treya Lankry there at Media House. Great that we're just pronouncing Media House, Media House now as well, not, not trying to overthink it. What do you think then about, you know, in terms of what we know so far and just listening to that interview in terms of sort of generative AI in the newsroom, is it going to be the next metaverse stroke NFTs stroke whatever the last big thing was? Or do you think it's going to be lasting, meaningful and be a good thing or a bad thing for journalism? Well, I think, I mean, at the moment, it's probably not good enough to replace journalists, which is good news. I don't know what's going to happen in the future but I mean it, it seems like the way obviously newsrooms are looking into it now are it's something to enhance journalism make our jobs easier rather than replace us but I mean one of the big things and, and that you know that we heard in in the interview is sort of how it's going to be regulated I guess it's up to newsrooms to put policies in place how much they want to use it whether they want to use it at all so I mean media house have their ethical framework but I don't think everyone has one yet so I mean really crystal ball really I don't know how it's going to go but I think at least for the next few years we're safe. What more can you ever say in journalism? I always think I'll settle for the next six months and then take it from there but it's good to hear that they're talking about regulation isn't it and I guess the real challenge will be getting the publishers to all get together and agree on some sort of form of regulation that's going to be mutually beneficial so the AI companies are kind of controlled in some way and then I guess the publishers themselves and journalists self-regulating. I bet there are people already using it to take some dangerous shortcuts. And I guess in the absence of um, of regulation, that's just going to happen, isn't it? The mind boggles to think about what an unscrupulous journalist who wanted to save you know a few hours could do with it, and then what sort of mistakes could start creeping in if people aren't careful. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained. With me, Mr. Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Oxford, our data reporter, Aisha Bajir, and expertly produced The Last Time by Adrian Bradley. So thanks for all your work on the podcast, Adrian. If you'd like The Future of Media Explained, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out pressgazette.co.uk where we've got a whole section on artificial intelligence. Thanks for listening.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.